thank you so much for singing out for us, for leading us in that song, and thank you again for uh, watching and uh, singing along with us, and I hope that you'll uh, let God speak to your heart um, in this time um, of, we continue to worship um, by studying His Word. So if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7. In just a few minutes, we're going to be reading from Mark 7, the first uh, seven verses, actually. Uh, but I want to just take some time up front to talk about just the situation we're in and what God might be trying to do and, and say to us in this time. And, uh, and then I think this will nicely uh, blend and, and take us into our text and into our message. You know, a few months ago, uh, we set out as a church to pray for and cast a vision for this bold new year that was before us. You know, 2020, uh, we had a lot of aspirations. We still do. Um, we, we set this uh, goal in front of us that we were going to behold all that God was going to do, all that God was going to say, and we didn't want to miss any of it. And we prayed a bold prayer, and, and I pray this bold prayer. I try to every day, and, and we prayed as a church, God, whatever you want to say to us this year, we pray that you give us ears to hear. Whatever you want to do with us this year, we pray that you give us the courage to follow you, and to go with you wherever you take us, wherever you lead us. And something I remember being very set on in my prayers and presentation is what truly makes us a church. And not just what makes us a church, but what makes the church the church. And, and we've talked plenty in our various studies before that the church is not confined to a building, uh, but God does not dwell in buildings. He dwells in people. He dwells in hearts. Uh, and we don't pray for God to only be accessed here, right? We pray for God to be accessed and experienced everywhere. What makes a church? What makes a church is a gathering of God's people. Again, we don't pray for God to fill places like this. We pray for God to fill our hearts wherever we might be. And, and as Christians, this isn't just some dream we have. This is a reality. This is our reality in our community here at Risen. The community that you're a part of this morning, no matter where you're watching from, um, our community, thankfully, it's not constrained to 571 Salem Road. It's not only confined to Lincoln, North Carolina at 11 o'clock on a Sunday, but we can, can rest on the promise. We can boldly say and, and, and confess that we are all risen. Wherever we are, we are risen. We are as we are in Christ, wherever we are, yes, we are committed to this local body. Yes, we are committed to Jesus who is in heaven. It is less than ideal that we cannot meet, of course. Does the Bible suggest that a church and Christians are stronger when they can meet and worship together? Absolutely. But I hope that in our countless conversations about what it truly means to be the church and what it means to represent the Lord, I hope that we are prepared and I hope that they prepared us for what we're facing and what we continue to face. And, you know, our hearts, they should long to be together, um, but they don't have to break. They don't have to fail just because we're apart. See, we may not be able to come together, but we can join our hearts together around the same spirit and in one accord. Our buildings may be empty, our services may be restricted, but our faith has not been taken away, and our God has rule ruling as he ever has. He is in control. His reign has not faded away one bit. If anything, during this time, perhaps we will grow more appreciative and reflect on the freedoms we have and enjoy on the regular now that we're facing circumstances that many in our world face a lot. See, there are some in our world that uh, have lived in these scenarios where they cannot meet or they meet in secret or in private only and they only get a glimpse 
of what we're doing through technology like we are today. And, and as we are doing the best we can in these current times, we take heart knowing that not just we will overcome, but that we can overcome. Right? There is hope and there is an option for us to overcome this. And that is an incredibly good news for us. A lot of people don't have that hope. A lot of people don't have that option today. One day this will be a memory, and, and the good news is considering what we're facing and what many in the world face, we can take heart. Now, you know, we've acted with vigilance and urgency in our response to this. You know, churches have quickly and swiftly made changes to their very, very normal routines, right? Um, things that we thought we could never do, we've figured out how to do, and things that we didn't know if we were comfortable doing, we've decided, hey, we'd give it a shot. So here we are in a place where we have arrived fairly abruptly and fairly rapidly. We don't know when things will be back to normal. We pray for things to return to normal tomorrow, but we don't know. We don't know what might happen next. So here's where we're at with all this. I want to show you a scripture from the Old Testament where God is talking to Israel. And thousands of years ago, the word he gave them, I believe, is still as relevant, maybe even more relevant today as it was to them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30, God says, When you are in tribulation, when you are in trouble, not if you ever get in trouble, but when you find yourself in trouble, whether you bring it on yourself or whether it's happened without you even realizing it all of a sudden just came on you, when you are in trouble and all these things come on you in the latter days, all these things just mean anything that is less than ideal, when you are in trouble and all these things start piling upon you, you will return. God says, I know what you're going to do. Here's what you should do. You will return to me and hear what I've got to say. Here's the good news. We don't know why this happened, but we can turn to God and say, God, we want to hear what you've got to say to us now that it has happened. We don't really need a reason. We don't need an explanation. We don't really care if we ever find out why, but we are begging for you to tell us something in this time so that we don't waste this time. You hear that? So that we don't waste it that this can actually be an opportunity for us all to grow. Now, we need to ask God in this time, what can we learn from this? God, I didn't want to deal with this, but I don't want to waste it. So God, what can I learn from this? How can our faith grow in this time? See, sometimes we treat the valleys of our lives like waiting rooms, right? That when you're going through a valley, we think, well, this is just me waiting it out. One day I'm going to get out of the waiting room and I'm going to get to the real, to find the real help, right? One day I'll get out of the waiting room and I'll get to see the doctor. I'll get to see the thing I've been waiting for. See, we treat valleys like they're just places where everything is paused. But you know, valleys are not places of stagnation at all. Valleys are where the water flows. Valleys are where the flowers bloom. Valleys are not waiting room, but valleys are really where the recovery can come. See, this doesn't have to be a waiting room. This can be a recovery room. As in a place where we go under operation and receive treatment and come out better. You believe that? Now, I know nobody prayed at the beginning of this year, God, we want to go through this time where we can't leave our house. We didn't pray for that. No one would ever want to pray for that, and I don't think I'm ever going to pray for that. But since that's what God had in store for us, Rather than just waiting it out, I believe, we believe, we're going to choose to believe this can be a time of recovery for us, a time that we become better people. 
than we were before. What if that's possible? I don't care how we got here or why we are here, but what can we grow? What can we gain from this? May this not be a wasted season or a season where everyone was put on pause, but a season of growth and revival. Do I really believe that that's possible? Let me be honest with you. A couple weeks ago, I didn't really want that to be an option. But as I kept thinking about this and praying about this, God kept saying, Justin, this is what you need to focus on. I didn't want that to be what this was about. But this might be, and I believe this is the reality that God has put us in for a reason. The church has not only thrived in seasons of trouble, the church has not only survived times in the fire, but the church is famous for thriving in the fire. Amen? See, we like to talk about God bringing us out of the fire, but the church has actually done its best and grown its most in the fire. See, the church has been the story throughout history, a story in the early days especially, that when things got hot, the church got bigger. If you remember the story in the book of Acts when Saul, before he became Paul, Saul the killer, was hunting down Christians, the scripture says there were, arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered. See, the plan was, hey, we're going to build up this giant, amazing, powerful church in Jerusalem. It's going to go from 2,000 to 5,000 to 10,000 to 50,000 to 100,000. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then God said, that's not the plan. The plan is allowing this guy named Saul to wreak havoc on you. It's going to scatter you. It's going to change your schedule. It's going to change your plans. And that's what led the church to go beyond Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, eventually to Rome. And that's why we're here today. See, the scripture says that because they were scattered, they preached the word. Because schedules changed, they preached greater and they did more good. See, our prayer in this time must be, we have no choice. It has to be like the disciples prayed in the book of Acts over and over again. God, behold this threat. Make us more bold in our faith. They didn't pray, God, just get rid of the threat, and that's not wrong to pray by no means. But God, hey, we've got a threat around us. One day it was the Sanhedrin, one day it was Saul, one day it was Nero. God, there's a threat. It's not going away, so we don't want to just hit pause. We want to keep moving. So God, behold this threat and give us boldness, give us courage that our faith might grow. Make us more fearless, more resilient, more focused than ever so that when we get through this, when we get back to normal, that we'll go out and be normal on mission and sp spread your word and do more good than ever before. See, in, the, in both the Old and New Testament, there's a word from God about shaking things up. And I don't know about you, but that phrase has been on my mind a lot this past week because things have been shaken up, haven't they? Schedules, routines, jobs, lives, finances, everything. But there's a word from God repeated in both the Old and New Testament where God says, yeah, I'm going to shake things up every once in a while. The prophet Haggai says, for yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I believe this is a perpetual statement from God. Yet again, in a little while, and after this is over, you can read that verse again, yet again, in a little while, God's going to shake heaven and earth and the sea and the land. But for what? Listen to what he says. 
I will shake all the nations so that treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory. Here's what God is saying. I'm going to shake things up so that the blessings might roll in. But you won't get the blessing unless you can endure the shaking. You won't get the blessing and the glory unless you can accept that this shaking is not in vain. It's not an attack, but it's God trying to do something greater than ever before. See, I don't know if that refers to a single shaking or I believe it refers to a perpetual shaking, actually. When we can feel the ground shaking beneath us, I believe this is a promise that we can cling to from God. The ground might be shaking, but it's because God is moving in, not because we're about to fall out. Can we agree on that today? I know I've got just a, a small group in the house today, but can we agree on this? Can we accept this and believe this and seek this? If you're watching, can you agree with me on this today? That yeah, things have been shaken up, but we're not going to blame them or we're not going to point the finger. We're not just going to panic and, and not gonna, just going to wait it out. We're going to say, God, we're going to accept this as you shaking things up for a reason. So that more blessings and something greater and more glorious can come. We're going to pray this prayer. God, I feel the earth shaking, I hear the heavens roaring, but I'm not panicking, I'm seeking, and I'm reaching for what you have in store. Will you do that with me today? God, I feel that the earth is shaking, I hear the heavens roaring, but I'm not going to panic, I'm going to seek you and reach for what you've got in store, because I know you do. See, we've been studying Mark's gospel, if you haven't been with us. And Mark's gospel, we've learned, is all about this good news that God's kingdom, this good news that God's kingdom is moving in. God's kingdom has come near. Everything that needs to happen for anybody to get close to God has already happened. That's what we've learned from Mark. God has already come near. God is not far from right where you are. In a fallen world where things are fragile and they are fractured around us, we need a greater kingdom to rule over us. We need better promises to rely on. And in Christ, the good news is that the kingdom has come. The king has come alongside and with authority over all of our brokenness and all of our sin. Christ has stepped to and onto our world. And the true marvel and supremacy of our God isn't His swiftness to banish evil, but His patience and willingness to work alongside it, coexist with it, in order to save it and redeem it. So we welcome His shaking. We celebrate when heaven roars over us, even if the mountains fall and the rains cease, even if the pestilence and plagues befall us, because, because there are just this is just the beginning of God's rule and reign. These are just signs that God is moving closer and closer. The reality of His plans for our planet are getting closer and closer than ever before. Romans 8 tells us, Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of God's children, for when God's going to bring all things to restoration. That creation itself will be set free from bondage and corruption to obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. That promise from God that says will be, this is a promise. So while we wait and we seek Him, we open our hands and say, God, here's all I have, here's all that I am. What are you trying to say to me in this? In Mark's gospel, 
We've learned that in everything we can see God's kingdom becoming closer and closer to reality. Even in our brokenness, God is in control. God is reigning. Here's where we're going with this today. Maybe expected, maybe unexpected. Could it be that the one area we often struggle to accept him and his rule the most is within our religious systems? And could this shaking up of our religious routine offer us a chance to examine what we're doing and wonder if we're doing it for the right reasons and getting the right blessing out of it? Is it, is, it is true, it is so true that we often are far quicker to accept God's rule over our brokenness and our sin than we often allow Him into our religious systems. See, we're so routine in our religion, aren't we? We do this at a certain time on Sundays. We don't change anything at all, right? We're so used to this format that we've gotten. And even if we get anything out of it or not, we just continue to do it, right? And could it be that we were so unprepared for most of what life brings our way because our worship and our devotion isn't where it ought to be? Here's why this is such a big deal and why I believe this time of distance worship is actually God trying to teach us something about our worship and get us to understand what it's really all about. If the heart of our worship is offbeat, then our hearts will fail the test of this life. That's why this is so crucial. Whether they be hardships that overwhelm you, opportunities in which you fail to live up to your potential, or successes that you are consumed by and not, you don't use for the right reasons. This is why Jesus often clashed with his religious, religious leaders of his day, with the system of his day that continues to exist in our day and is still present in our faith communities tries its best to usurp the faith community in every way. Jesus saw a people. Now, they were God's people, by the way. Israel, who had everything they needed to know God and walk and step with Him, yet it was their religion. It was their dogged devotion to their traditions that actually kept them far away from God. How can that be? They were as faithful as anybody to the house, but they were as far away as you could get from God. You see, they were, they'd become so routine, so stale, so ho-hum in their worship and tradition, they weren't getting any closer or maintaining fellowship with God. They were actually boarding up and building up the divide between them and God. And worse than all, all the people saw and related to God through them, so the rest of the people weren't getting to God either. And let me say this early and clear. It's not that traditions are bad. Sometimes God, sometimes people just pick on certain traditions. That's not the problem. The problem is anything we allow to substitute genuine connection to God. And could this disconnect from Sunday worship, could this disconnect from the houses actually be an opportunity to examine what kind of connection we had to begin with? Because if we're not careful, the enemy loves to use religion to substitute what it really means to worship and respond to God. And we fall for it so easily. Perhaps... The greatest sign that our world has fallen is how easily we fall for substitutes for God. Can, can you testify to that? Can you, can you relate to that? That we fall so easily for substitutes for God. Money, politicians, wealth, or health, we fall for these things that substitute our need for God. And then when those things go away, we realize there's a big gap there that those things couldn't fill to begin with. 
So of course God shakes our foundation time and time again. In the same way the interstates and highways have rumble strips along the edges, just in case you veer off course, just in case you fall asleep, they give you alert and they give you vigilance. Hey, I need to get back on the road. So Jesus confronted the religious status quo of His day. He shook their establishment, not because He just wanted change or just wanted different, but because He wanted genuine, effective transformation for His people. And He wants the same thing for me and you. Here's what Mark 7 tells us. Now when the Pharisees gathered to Him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Now, this isn't saying that they just wash their hands simply, but they went through this very ornate, very, uh, very big kind of ritual of washing their hands and saying certain prayers and doing certain rituals to make not only the outside, but to feel as if they were holier than everybody else. It goes on. The Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? It wasn't about the defiled hands. They could care less about the washing of the hands. You should wash your hands, by the way. They weren't worried about the hands being dirty. They were upset because they didn't see the disciples doing the same things that they did religiously. And Jesus says to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites! It is written... The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus has something to say about our religious traditions, about our religious habits, because the habits of the ancients actually was getting in the way of their walk with God. And could it be that this time when our habits have been taken from us, could it be in this time when we can't do the things we're used to doing on Sundays that God wants to speak to us, maybe with a whisper, maybe with a shout, that our hearts are far from God? See, it is the trend of religion, no matter the era, generation, style, or format, or translation. The trend, the drift, is that the routines of our faith replace the reality of our faith. The drift is that routines of worship replace the reality of worship. And to go past that, that we become satisfied with observing and never actually participating in leading. We get so used, for somebody, used to somebody else doing it for us that we don't know what to do now that it's on us to lead ourselves. See, right now, we're in a situation where we cannot meet. We can't go through our routines. So I think it's the perfect time for us to examine our habits. And it could be that the routines that we have are good. They may not need to change at all. But the way we have been approaching them maybe wasn't so good. Or may very well be there are some things that we're doing that didn't prepare us for a situation like we have suddenly found ourselves in. Maybe we've been coming to the house every Sunday and we haven't been seeking the Lord like we should have and all of a sudden now we realize it. Does verse 6 define us like it did Jesus' generation? Their hearts are far from me. Their heart is far from me. They were, do they were good at singing with their lips but they were not serving with their lives. Husbands, as the de facto spiritual leaders in your homes, are you prepared for this? Have you been letting somebody else lead your families? 
And now that it's all of a sudden on you, are you ready for this? Parents, are you prepared to carry both the weight of the church and your own during this time when your children look to you to hear from God and hear from, about God's word and about what God wants to say to them? Are any of us ready for this? Or do we just look ready on Sundays, but in reality our hearts are far from God? Come on, how could anybody's heart be far from a God who has moved in and is never very far away? As we've established, religion is how this can be the case for all of us. So what if God wants to shake up our religious status quo? What if that's what He's up to right now? What if God wants to use this to reignite our passion for church, for meeting, for worshiping, and for serving? Jesus told a disenchanted crowd and confused people earlier in Mark concerning their worship and their gathering and their faith community. They were so used to doing what religion told them to do. But Jesus told them they had it all wrong. They had the understanding of what it was for all wrong. Jesus told them early on in Mark, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. That all that God has given us in terms of our church, in terms of the systems and the way that we do things and the way that we gather together and follow these traditions and these rituals, these things, God didn't just have them in heaven and say, you know what, I really need to make some people to keep all these rules. I really want to see buildings full on Sunday, so I need to make some people to fill those buildings. No, God gave us the buildings. He gave us the meetings. He gave us the word and the rules and the traditions. He gave those so they might be a blessing to us, not an obstacle. The Sabbath in the religious system, it was given to us to be for us, not so that we might just serve and do whatever it says for us to do and not know what it's actually meaning. See, God works through His church and that we might take something away from it. See, has church been improving your life? Has worship been following the Lord? Has it been improving your life? Or are you like the Jews in Jesus' day? You just do the routines and you do the rituals and you really don't leave any different. In a sense, they had turned religion into this way of keeping God in a box. They made him happy on a one, one day of the week, but they kept him separate from the rest of their lives. You hear that? For a lot of us, Sunday's a day that we go and check in with God and say, God, I've been good this week, I've been bad this week, but here's some money, maybe that'll pay off some of the bad stuff I've done, I don't know. Hey God, I'm going to listen to the guy this week, I'm not going to fall asleep, I'm not going to tune him out, might even take some notes. Sunday's a day that we kind of go to God because God lives in this box at a certain place at the road, and we go there and we make him happy, but we don't really expect him to leave with us. I'm glad that's not the way it is. But here's what it's all about. Here's what it's supposed to be. See, there's supposed to be an intersection between life and worship, not a median. You understand that? There's supposed to be an intersection as in, hey, I'm living Monday through Saturday and I'm doing my, doing my life the way I've been called to do it and I'm with them and I'm working there and I'm doing that. But it's intersecting with what I do on Sunday. It's intersecting with my faith and what I learn at church and what I do at church. It's to benefit and to equip me and enable me to be a better person Monday through Saturday. But see, often we treat it like it's a median. Here I am on Monday through Saturday, and here I am on Sunday, and never the twain do they pass. And we go through those weird little on-ramps to get over there on Sunday, but we get back on the other side, and we don't talk between the two. That's not what it was supposed to be like. So many of us were used to separating our lives we're used to walling God off with this ritual and this routine, and maybe having this pulled from us can actually be a good thing. 
Because it causes us to examine what we're taking from it to begin with. So remember, Jesus is talking to Israel. These are God's people. They're using the same book. They're following the same God and the same rules. He was trying to get them to see what they were missing. Because like so many of us, they had turned a day in a system meant to shake up their lives, and they had customized it to ensure that things didn't shake up much at all. You want to know how radical this was to Jesus' audience? His own family heard it. And they went out to seize him. And they said, he's out of his mind. Mary, his mother. James, his brother. When they heard Jesus offering this brand new idea, these brand new ideas about what it, was really, what it really meant to worship God, his own family said, he's crazy. The religious leaders made that seem mild. The scribes from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebul. By the devil. So this is how radical what he said was to his first century audience. And all Jesus did was suggest that maybe we're not receiving the help God intended for us from our religious rituals. Doesn't seem so crazy, does it? Maybe they were just so sensitive or maybe, maybe they were just like us. See, isn't it true? Sometimes we get so in the habit of doing something, even if we don't even know or care why we're doing it. Hello? Eric Hussey laid this bit of wisdom on me a while back, and I'm so thankful for it. If you're watching, Eric, hello. Sometimes we get so in the habit of doing something, we don't even know why we're doing it. We're just programmed to do it. We don't know why, and since we don't know why, we get nothing from it, but we keep doing it. We're like robots. And man, we can sing on Sundays and we can open our Bibles and we can write some stuff down, but it never goes home with us. We do it because we're told to do it. Jesus was trying to open his world, open, his, open their eyes to this. So as he continued on this tour of shaking things up, finally a whole entourage confronts him and accosts him with full intentions to jump him if necessary. And I mean really, they go from asking him questions to trying to arrest him in an afternoon to trying to kill him. They come to talk to him, and as soon as something about Jesus is set up, about his setup is different than theirs, then theirs, their radars go off, and they're triggered, and they want to arrest him and kill him. Here's the background for the specific thing that they confront Jesus about. They accuse him of breaking the tradition of the elders. Now, that was a very high-in-regard idea, a set of ideas that the ancient Jews uh, believed in as much as they did the law of Moses. Now, tradition was, or the way they believed was, the myth from the Old Testament days was that God gave Moses the law that he wrote down, and then God gave the oral law, the spoken law. God gave the spoken laws not meant to be written. He gave them to Moses and the elders, and they were passed down just to the leaders and the religious leaders of Israel, and they were kept in secret. But the religious leaders were obligated to inspect everyone and analyze everyone and make sure that everybody was living up to the elders' tradition. And over time, these traditions were expanded and changed, but it was always what the leaders said would be so or not so. That smells kind of fishy, doesn't it? No word of that in the Bible. No verses about it in the Old Testament. 
God's revelation, thankfully, is full and complete for everybody to read and hear. There's nothing hidden. Nothing, not, nothing's only given to certain holy, enlightened people. There's, that, that, that's been a myth. It continues to be this deception. But by the first century, these had blown up, and so many different versions were out there. And the Pharisees literally had a job because the Pharisees literally were employed to uh, make sure people were following these traditions and police people who might cross the line. And they quote this oral law, this oral tradition, when they say, Jesus, hey, why do y'all do things different than us? Why are y'all not going through these routines when we go through these routines and we know the tradition says we should? And then Jesus says, I don't care what kind of tradition you're quoting. I'll quote the book. I'll quote the written word of Isaiah. And he quotes the prophet when he says, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The kingdom of God has come near, but your hearts are far from God. You're going to miss what God is about to do, and for what? Over what? Just because your routine changed? Because you're blind and numb by your rituals? Because Now remember John 5, there was a man who laid in a crowd with other disabled people, and he was stuck in this system that said, if you come here once a year, you might get healed. Every year he came, he never got healed. Nobody ever got healed. But they all came because that's what religion told them to do, to get in line. And Jesus walked up one day and said, hey, buddy, you want to get better? He said, well, of course I want to get better. You want to help me get to the water? Because they say the water gets special one time a year. And Jesus says, no, 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 be quiet. I want you to get out of line. I can't get out of line. This is like Black Friday. I lined up here for the last six months to get my spot. Jesus says, nobody's going to get any help here. I'm giving you a chance to prove that. Step out of line and follow me. See, this shaking God wants to do that God has brought on us, the way it's impacting our churches and our routines, what if God is saying, do you want to get well? Well, step out of line and follow Jesus. This has required everyone, from pastors to every member, to look themselves in the mirror and say, am I really following Jesus? Am I able to continue to be the church even though I can't go to church? See, we need a prophetic voice like this that Jesus offers us. We need a revival and an awakening to open our eyes to what God wants to do beyond these buildings. And what goes on in these buildings must always, above all, consider how we are being equipped to live out there. Now, instead of doing what maybe I would have done a few years ago or maybe I would like to do, instead of, doing, instead of just leaving it here and offering some ambiguous invitation to come to God and see what He wants you to do, I'm going to give you some things to think about because Jesus gives us some things to think about. Jesus tells us specifically what God wants us to do and what we ought to always be receiving and seeking from God. Jesus says, In vain they worship me. They use God's name in vain for their man-made religion. His critique was that religion had become this game only religious people could win and people in attendance were just learning how to be more religious and not how to be more godly. God forbid we learn how to be more like what our church is and less like what God wants us to be and like what God is. Verse number 8 says, you leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of man. You're walking away from what God wants you to do because you're so committed to what you've been doing in your religion. 
Verse 9, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And listen, traditions aren't old, they're just man-made. But here's the point. They were more passionate about presentation than application. Aren't we all? Shame on us because we fall for the same trap. Now in these next few verses, Jesus comments as to why he had a problem with what they were doing. I'll explain it to you. In the, in the days of Jesus, uh, the religious leaders had a way of getting out, get it, getting out of taking care of their loved ones, um, getting out of loving their neighbor even. This wasn't just confined to family, but it was obviously speaking about family. In the days of Jesus, if you were a religious person and you wanted to avoid ever having to help somebody in need, if you wanted to avoid ever having to help your parents or your brother or sister or just your neighbor, Anybody, the stranger, the foreigners, they were all commanded to help everybody to be charitable. The way to get out of that was you just had to dedicate your possessions to God. You didn't have to write a check. You didn't have to give anything. All you had to do was go to some, you know, you know, jack-leg lawyer and say, I want you to write down that all my possessions are dedicated to God. But I'm not going to give them to God until I'm dead. But I can't give them now to anybody that needs it because I'm waiting to give it to God. But I'm not going to give it to God because when God gets it, I'll be gone. And it'll all be gone before I'm dead because I'm going to spend it on me. See how this works? So I can't help you, mama. I can't help you, daddy. Can't help you, stranger. Can't help you, foreigner. Can't help you, neighbor. Can't help you, brother. Can't help you, sister. Can't help you, friend. Can't help you, enemy. Because, hey, my stuff's dedicated to God. See what they were doing? They were using God as a way of getting out of loving people. They were using God and religion to get out of actually serving God and representing God in the world. They were trapping all of their religiousness and spirituality to the building so when it was Monday through Saturday, they didn't have to serve God because they left it all in the building and it was all dedicated to God. When God intends us to take it with us and use it for Him and for others. See, in this time when we can't come here, we're stuck out there. We got a lot more opportunities to love other people than ever before. Maybe from a distance, but maybe I'm talking about the person you're living with, the people in your own community, the people in your own family, the people that you work with, the people that you interact with, people that you usually avoid. Jesus does not accept there to be a disconnect between vertical and horizontal life, your vertical worship and your horizontal living. There's no world where we can honor God while also dishonoring others. There's no way to love God while not loving others. That's what he's trying to say to us. That's his point. And in this time where our worship is not centralized, it becomes more clear than ever that worship really is all about what we do out there. See, worship as a gathering is less about the invisible God we sing to and more about the visible community we sing with. Now, we don't worship people. Hear what I'm saying. Worship as a gathering is less about the God we sing to and more about the community we sing along with. Because God is committing and wiring our hearts to one another that we might honor each other as we are honoring God, loving each other as we love God. See how suddenly this becomes more practical? See how suddenly we understand the purpose of the church and how it's a launch pad? What if we return to our buildings in a few weeks with this ambition? What if we return to our workplaces and our social scenes with this ambition? What if we start seeking God privately with this ambition that we might show God off publicly? 
What if we start asking God, what does loving you require me to do? It requires us to love each other. That's what it requires. So I want to ask you a few questions in closing about how maybe we have pinned our faith to a building or to a day and God might be wanting to shake that up during this time. Here's a few questions that I think will crack open some of our religious hearts. Have you ever sinned against someone else and made things right with God, but you never made it right with them? That's a sign that our religion, religious traditions may not be helping us. They might be hurting us. Oh, I went to church on Sunday, and I went down the altar, and I made it right with God, and I said, God, I'm not going to tell them. Sorry. Because there's a verse in your Bible that says, if I just talk to you, it's all that i got to do. I don't know where it's at, but hey, I'm going to believe it. God, I'm right with you, but I'm not going to make it right with them. Jesus says, what, what book are you reading? Religion may give that a pass, but these services are not a place to come and show our love for God. They're a place to come and prepare and go and love and honor everybody else too. Do you ever try to figure out how close you can get to sin without actually sinning? Do you ever come to church and say, you know what, God, you know, can I get a little closer? Because that might be a sign that your religion is stuck in a building and stuck to a day. And God's trying to pry it off of that. Instead of actually saying, God, how can I stay close to you? How can I represent you? Hey, God, how can I get so close to sin without actually sinning? And as long as I come on Sundays, does that make me okay? Do we come to worship with a desire to get close to God? Or, and then do we leave with this desire? Do we want to err on honoring God and honoring others and not, not seize an opportunity that might look like we can get away with something? I'm not done. Do you believe that looking right at a weekend ritual gives you an out from living right towards God and others through the week? Because you can't look right now on Sundays. I mean, I'm sure y'all look good in your living room. I dressed like y'all today so I could relate. But do you believe that just because you look right on Sundays, it gives you an out from living right every other day? Maybe God's wanting to pry you away from that lie. One more question. Are you especially sensitive to doing the right thing around holy days or around certain holy places, but you don't give it much thought any other time? It's like there's a different set of rules. Is your guilt tied to a place or a day? To go even farther, is your joy only tied to a place or a day? Or do you understand that worship goes beyond these walls, even these screens? See, I think this shaking Jesus has brought to us, maybe he's trying to get us to consider if what we do on Sundays is actually benefiting us, if what we take away from Sundays is actually benefiting us. It may be that we're in a religious system that, like those in Jesus' day that is aiding this process, or it could be that we've got enough religion in us that it's preventing what our church and what God has been trying to lead us into. See, there is within all of us this tendency to ignore our behavior as long as we can cover it up on a certain day or in a certain way. But suddenly we don't have that cover up in the same old way. This might be an opportunity to monitor our heartbeat, to get things back into rhythm, to monitor our faith to lo and love towards God and our love and fellowship toward others. Is our heart where it needs to be? And, and I want to read you how Jesus closes this, this conversation out. 
in Mark, Mark 7. Jesus says, hear me and understand this. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of the person are what defile him. He says, what comes out of the person is what defiles him from, from within. Out of the heart comes all evil. See, if our heart is not right, everything that comes out of us won't be right. And right now we're spending a lot of time with just ourselves and our own hearts. So it's the perfect time to ask, how's your heart? How are you in your walk with God and your walk before others? This is the perfect time to recenter and refocus our heart and on what matters the most. We need to get back to the heart of worship where every day it's all about Jesus, living for Jesus and loving for Jesus, whether we're here or anywhere else. Let me pray for you. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to meet virtually. Thank you for the technology that allowed us to come together and think about what worship is all about. And Lord, never has there been a better time to examine and consider our habits and our rituals and our routines and, and wonder, God, are these getting us where we need to be? And are we where we need to be? And, and when we get back to normal, are there some changes we need to make? Is our heart focused on you? Is our heart beating for you? Father, I pray that you would take us to this place where we wouldn't separate our faith and our lives. We wouldn't put a wall up between Sunday and the rest of the week and the rest of our lives, but we would bring an intersection. We would bring a communion, bring a joining together of these two things. We might be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.